Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries. This is today's episode of our Truth Tidbits as we continue reading through the scripture this year. God bless you and welcome. Thank you for joining us. Today we are in the book of Revelation, and we are in Revelation chapter 6, and we are at the point where the Lamb is opening the seals on this seven-sealed scroll that he has received from the hand of God on the throne. And so we've looked at the first four seals, and they're often dubbed the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We've talked about those in detail in the last couple of episodes. And so today we want to discuss the fifth seal. And so to do that, I'd like to begin by reading the opening of the fifth seal in Revelation chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And in Revelation 6, 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So let's talk about this fifth seal. Many times this is referred to as the cry of the martyrs. Notice that these martyrs, these souls of saints that had been killed because of Jesus Christ and his name, because of those who hated the name of Jesus and murdered them, they are found under the altar This is the altar of incense, or what was known as the golden altar. We've already talked a little bit about this golden altar, this altar of incense, in chapter 4 and 5 when we looked at that. And it was a very special place. It was the place for the incense burning service. It was a special time of prayer. In Acts, Luke referred to it as the hour of prayer. And it was the latter part of the evening service, and it was a very special time. It was precious to God. So this becomes the special abode of the martyred souls. Notice it's the souls of those who have been killed. This altar of incense was very close to the Lord and was a special place in heaven. And this what became this special abode of these souls at this time. I want to read Revelation 8 to you, a few verses from that. We will discuss it a little bit more in detail when we get there. But for right now, I do want us to see a couple of things here. It says in Revelation 8 verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, 
came and stood at the altar. This is that same altar that we're talking about here, the golden altar or the altar of incense when it was given to Moses in the tabernacle instructions. Remember, Moses was told to write according to the pattern he had seen from the temple in heaven. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So this is just giving us another reference to this altar of incense where the prayers of the saints were coupled with the incense burning and it was a beautiful service to the Lord. And this is where we find the, the special designation for the place for these martyred souls to be. And I believe in Revelation chapter 8, that is the beginning of the answer to these cries of the saints at this fifth seal. So let's talk about these souls of these martyred Christians. They were killed for the word of God because they believed the logos of God, the written word. They spoke about it. They taught it. They believed it. They stood on it. They defended it. They stood for God and they held to their testimony. It says, and for the testimony that they held, their personal testimony, supporting and testifying of Jesus the word testimony there literally means evidence given. In other words, they believed God's word and they had personal experiential evidence they presented in support, testifying of Jesus, testifying of his lordship, his deity, his being the son of the living God. And because of that, they were killed. Their cry was actually a scream, the Bible says. It was, that's what it means. It was an entreaty, but it was with a loud voice. It was like a scream. How long? In other words, when will righteous vengeance come? They knew the scripture said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And so they're crying out, for his vengeance to come. They believe the word of the Lord and they are seeking vengeance. Why? Because their blood was shed innocently. They were killed without proper cause. They had not committed what God said to be a capital crime, but rather were killed because of the word of the Lord and their testimony of him. Praise be to God. They knew God to be holy. They called him holy and true, knowing that he was blameless. He was right, sacred, and set apart. And he was faithful to his word. He was trustworthy. They also believed, as Jesus believed, that God would judge righteously. I want us to look next at 1 Peter chapter 2, 
beginning in verse 21. Let's begin in verse 20. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what these have also done. Just like Jesus did, they also did, believing God to be righteous and true. And he will judge righteously and vengeance is his. He promises he will repay. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not kill. It means to murder or put to death without proper cause. There are capital crimes, but there are other crimes or other reasons why people kill one another that are not according to God's word. And that is all lumped into this word called murder. And it is against God to murder another human being. I want to read in Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. I want to begin the reading in verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Stop right here, because the Lord himself now gives to Cain a warning. God sees what's in Cain's heart. He sees that sin is right there, ready to jump in and take you know, some place in Cain's life and rule over him. And God says, Cain, you need to subdue this. You need to have self-control. If you will do well, I will accept you as well. So the Lord is giving Cain a warning. Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him the very first murder in the Bible. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he, meaning God, said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then he goes on and he delivers a curse for him because of what Cain has done. Cain shed innocent blood. 
the innocent blood of Abel. And that blood cries for vengeance because it was shed innocently. There should not have been this shedding of blood. There was no just cause for it. It was murder. We see a similar thing if you look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 9, where Uriah's innocent blood is shed by David, and God holds David responsible. David murdered Uriah. Now, David was forgiven for that. Oh, yes, he was, because he repented of his sin. And we have Psalm 51 to prove that. It's a wonderful, beautiful prayer of repentance. I encourage you to read it. But the point is this. God sees every murder. God sees every bit of innocent blood that is shed. And notice this. Yes, God forgave David's sin. And God heard his cry of repentance, but there was still judgment consequences. But there was still consequences that David had to pay. And David decreed his own judgment. When Nathan the prophet came to him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, and Nathan began to tell him this story, and David said, whoever that man is, he's got to pay fourfold. And Nathan said, you are the man. And so David lost four of his sons because of what he had done in murdering Uriah and taking Bathsheba unlawfully. So the child died and three other of David's own sons died. There was violence continually in his household and David was not allowed to build the temple. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, let's look at that. First Chronicles 28, let's read verses 1 through 4. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribe, tribes and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and the captains over hundreds and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials, the valiant men and all the mighty men of valor. Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you've been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever For he has chosen Judah to be the ruler, and of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased with me to make me king over all Israel. So David recognizes here that God has told him that he cannot build the temple because he has shed innocent blood. And I believe that's talking about Uriah. Yes, David was a man of war. Yes, he had to conquer other people enemies over other enemies, and he had shed blood in those ways. But I believe the innocent blood that God was speaking of here and what really kept him back was the shedding of blood of Uriah, who he had murdered. But in David's repentance, notice this out of Psalm 51, and I encourage you to read all of Psalm 51, as I mentioned. It's a beautiful psalm of repentance. 
But notice one of the things that David asked the Lord. Verse 14 of Psalm 51 says this, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So David is crying out. He realizes his sin with Uriah and Bathsheba. He's crying out repentance. And one of the things he asks the Lord is, Lord, remove from me the guilt of this bloodshed. Forgive my sin and remove its guilt. Praise God. God will always forgive sin, but there may be consequences that we still have to bear because of that sin. It's better all the way around if we don't sin to start with. It would have been better all the way around if David had not sinned. God forgives, but there are still consequences, and David's example is one proof of that. He lost four sons, he had violence in his family, and he was not allowed to build the temple which was in his heart to do. There were other martyrs, all the way from Abel through Zacharias at the time of Jesus, when Jesus mentioned that. Even Jezebel killed a bunch of innocent people. You can read about that in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 7. And I want us to look at Luke chapter 11, and I want to begin reading in verse 49. Jesus is speaking here, and he says this, Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill and persecute, that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. So at the time of Jesus, there had been many innocent people that had been killed, beginning with Abel all the way through Zechariah, this prophet that Jesus speaks of. Then during the time of Jesus, we have John the Baptist who was innocently killed. Then, of course, we have Jesus himself who was innocently killed. He had done no wrong. Then after Jesus, you have Stephen and all of the apostles all the way through Revelation chapter 6, including those that are killed today, persecuted Christians who are tortured and or murdered. And Jesus tells these souls, these martyred souls of all the martyred saints that are under this altar, he says, in essence, there are more that have to come and join you. There are more coming. This would refer to the tribulation saints. As I mentioned yesterday in the last episode, people can get saved after the rapture of the church in, during the time of the tribulation. And we know that there will be many that do get saved. But many, if not all, of those will lose their lives for the sake of the gospel, especially in the last half of the tribulation, they will be killed. And so Jesus is referring to those here. 
when the word from the Lord comes to them and says, rest a little while longer because there are more that have to join you. And he's referring to those tribulation saints, we tend to call them. Innocent bloodshed cries out to a righteous and just God for his righteous vengeance to come. There's only one person whose innocent blood does not cry out for vengeance. I want us to see that. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, and I want us to read beginning in verse 22 through verse 24. But you have come to Mount Sion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Why is that? Because all of the innocent bloodshed from Abel on of the people that have been slain and perhaps are under this altar in Revelation 6 in this fifth seal are crying out, How long, Lord, until you judge and avenge us because you are righteous and you are true. Vengeance is yours. We know that to be true. And so they're crying out for vengeance. However, Jesus' blood is the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things because the blood of Jesus, as it was being shed on the cross, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' blood cried out for mercy on the evildoers. And Jesus gave this mercy, and this was released because of the mediator of the new covenant, his blood of sprinkling speaks better things than that of Abel. And to all who will repent and believe in him, mercy comes to them and they can be forgiven of their sins just like David was who murdered and shed innocent blood. But to those who will refuse the call of the Holy Spirit and refuse to repent, vengeance will come to them one day because God is a just God and he will judge righteously and he will have vengeance on those that have wronged him. He will repay. Hallelujah. So their cry is how long? When? Until. In other words, they know that righteous judgment and vengeance is in fact coming. They are assured of it. They are absolutely assured of it because they know God. His word is true and he is true to his word. Vengeance is his and he will repay. Notice the answer that they are given. We've spoken a little bit about it already, but notice what all happens in response to their cry. They're given a white robe, which signifies purity and cleanness, innocence. 
they are told to rest a little while longer. In other words, notice this. In the earth, in this life, they were persecuted, they were hated, perhaps tortured and murdered. And yet, when their spirit and their soul is in heaven, under this altar, they are at rest. No more suffering. They are now at rest and peace. They were ones who did not fear those who could only kill the body, but couldn't kill the soul or doom it to hell, as Jesus spoke about, because Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear God, who can send the soul, who can kill the body and doom the soul to hell because of its refusal to repent and call upon him for salvation. So these are now at rest and at peace, those who feared God and stood for him to the very end, and they are no longer suffering. They are at rest. And he says, others will join them from their fellow servants. In other words, perhaps other Christians, maybe of Gentile origin, and their brethren, perhaps of Jewish origin or of the same nationality as they are. And notice this, he says, others are going to join them. Those are coming. There are still more that have to join these souls under the altar. And he says, just rest here a little while until all the rest of them come in. All the rest of them. And I want you to understand this. The cry of the martyrs points out to us this point that is iterated throughout the New Testament about persecution of the church. From the early church, from the very earliest of the church days and the years, all the way to the very end, we see this hatred for Jesus who we stand for and this persecution that can come upon the church. Now, many of us suffer in various ways, and some suffer true, hard persecution around the world. Others may suffer what we might call soft persecution. Others might suffer in different ways. But there are lots of suffering in the world, and I'm sure many of you are suffering in some form or fashion, just as I am, and, and we're joined by a whole company of Christians that are suffering in different ways all around the world. And part of that is just the fact that we have made Jesus our Lord. I want us to close by reading a few, hopefully, encouraging words that will help us in our understanding of this and give us encouragement to stay the course until the end and be faithful through it all. So I'd like for us to look at a few passages as we begin to close. First, let's look at Matthew chapter 10. And I want to begin reading in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, 
but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Then let's go to Matthew chapter 24 and let's begin the reading in verse 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Jesus is talking about the time of the end. He's giving prophetic words about those. And he says this in verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold but he who endures to the end shall be saved. So here again, Jesus warns us about people hating us for the cause and the name of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 15, let's look at that one. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul is writing and he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we understand from Jesus and from Paul, as well as from Peter. Peter talks about it in his epistles as well. And we know from the example of all of the apostles that they did suffer persecution and all were martyred except for John. But John suffered persecution as well. And so we see that this is part of the church legacy because of the name of Jesus, because they hated him. And the world, he says, will hate us because they hated him. I want to close out by encouraging words from Jesus himself from the book of Revelation. We looked at it earlier in Revelation chapter 2 but I feel it appropriate to read it again as we close this episode of the cry of the martyrs and the fifth seal. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. 
Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I believe that these are encouraging words for all of us in our sufferings. Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and he will reward suffering and persecution of whatever kind it is. And in the end, it will be worth it all. Hallelujah. I pray this has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. Thank you for joining us. God bless you today in Jesus' name. And join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.